0: the open side for Bette off the here to Simon who's quick Pete Simon looking for Corrine Bette back to Simon
1: Hello and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby, where the People's Podcast is providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. I'm Ando, with me are Mitch and Lockie, and I have to tell you guys, this has been one of the best weekends of rugby in recent memory. Mitch, how freaking good were the games this weekend?
2: I think we can, without a doubt, confidently say that this has been the best World Cup to date. And uh, I think even Shawnee said something on Twitter that was like, up until this point, this has been the best World Cup we've ever had, and anything past this point is just a bonus, yep. Yep. and um, you couldn't say it much about I, I was that.
1: speaking to some people at work today uh, who were asking about the games over the weekend, and I was like, the Ireland New Zealand game was the best game of rugby I've ever watched, and then I watched the France-South Africa game, and it was just as good, and how incredible is that, Lockie? Were you just overstimulated from the amount of quality of rugby that was available?
0: I felt naughty. I felt guilty in being able to enjoy that much quality footy because we've honestly been deprived the past few years. Maybe it's just because we've <laughs> been watching the Wallabies. who haven't quite been up to scratch. <laughs> but I mean, it's just been an incredible tournament so far. And all the noise about the quarterfinals are unfair or whatever. That doesn't matter because we got four of the best games of rugby we've seen in the professional era. Each of them in their own way was seesawing, spectacular, amazing tries. And the atmosphere that they've built in this World Cup is the best. We saw it in 2019. Everyone hailed that as an incredible tournament, the new benchmark. France 2023 is that new yep. benchmark now. Yeah,
1: without a shadow of a doubt. And so we've had four incredible games of rugby across the weekend, and we're going to be diving into those in this quarter final review. One of the things that we will say is that this is going to be the first of two podcast episodes this week. We are going to be recording on Monday night, Tuesday night as well, because there is an incredibly significant Eddie Jones announcement that is going to be being made tomorrow morning now. Let's actually just take a moment to hypothesize and theorize what might be happening. Now, there's, there's a few different ways that it could go. I'm going to go the simple and boring one, which I hope doesn't actually happen in some ways. Um, I wonder if tomorrow they'll be saying things are all good. Um, Eddie Jones is staying in a role. I'm wholly committed to Australian rugby for the next four years. And that's going to be the announcement. That's that's. I wonder if that's it. That's what I'm putting forward. Uh, Lockie, what's your suggestion of what could be happening tomorrow morning at 9am at Coogee Oval?
0: I think it's going to be a press conference, Sando.
1: <laughs> and I don't think you're allowed to push me on that one. But
0: it's going to be entertaining regardless. And for, for the, all the noise that's been generated in the wake of the Wallabies campaign, this is yep. that crux, right? It's all been building towards this, what's its future. Uh, these conversations allegedly with other countries, have they been happening? Does that all get revealed uh, at this presser? So I think just about every Australian rugby fan or even observer, and dare I say, uh, a few of its many critics will be tuning in for that one.
1: You just know that Jamie Pandaram is going to be down at Coogee Oval ready and waiting to put out another article. Mitch, what's your theory on what's
2: going to be coming? I'd love for it to be that Eddie Jones is resigning from the Wallabies and just to stay stepping away to focus wholly on the Japanese role, that would be, if, if he did do that, that would be a little nonsensical at this point because he hasn't been confirmed as getting that role. He's just in the second round of interviews or the, the last round of interviews. From what's being reported, he's got a face-to-face interview in November sometime. So if he was to to front the media and say, I'm stepping away from Australian rugby to pursue other opportunities and then he loses that job offer as well, I think in some ways that might be like the best outcome for everyone. Uh, Eddie Jones ends up unemployed, goes away into the the, uh, the the back pages of rugby and we don't hear from him again for a few years.
0: I thought you were going to say he's going to take time away to work on himself, a bit of a hot Eddie summer.
2: <laughs> he probably needs that, to be honest. He's been hot and fiery probably needs since a break. he came in.
1: Probably needs a break to cool down. But either way, that's going to be coming tomorrow. Um, in the next episode we do, we're also going to have, I believe, Jim from the... Uh, basically rugby (coughs) report card um, coming on and talking to us. He's going to be sharing some of his thoughts because the boys love to have a strong opinion and word and we'd we'd love to get that involved on this podcast as well. Mitch, you're going to take us through the tipping comp results so far. We've got one, two rounds remaining.
2: All right. So the first thing that I need to say and pump up my own tyres is that I've jumped into the top 20 so for the first time in this World Cup, I'm actually able to see the, the leader without having to go to another page in the World Cup page. So at least I'm happy with that. So well done to me and everyone. Thank you. Thank you. I, I do deserve that. But in first place, we have Kakadu on 457 points. Second place, we have Olieb on 422, followed very closely by Felix Nine in third place on 420 points. So there is a bit of a gap there between first and second but second and third at the moment are neck and neck.
1: All right, moving into the first quarterfinal of the weekend. We had Wales versus Argentina. Wales going down 17 to 29. Now, boys, I'm faced with a bit of a conundrum here. Because when Australia was knocked out in the pool stages, just to remind you in case you'd forgotten, um, I was able to really easily shift across to my genuinely half Welsh her- heritage. So I, I had a team that I could naturally align myself with. But at this point, um, I'm not Argentinian. There's no way in hell you would find me supporting New Zealand. Uh, I'm not South African. So the last actual opportunity with my familial heritage is England. But my life motto is anyone but england so i really don't know what to do here um lucky help me out what was this game like and what were some of the takeaways from it
0: oh this game was a roller coaster in in every sense because not only were players battered and bruised refs were battered and bruised um it was it was monumental we saw yakko piper being the first referee subbed off in oh i can't remember anyone being subbed off since nigel owens um back in the day popping a hammy in a um English Premiership game. (laughs) So it was it was really exciting from start to finish 29 points to 17. The Argentinians came up, and it was all down to two men. Um, There was Emiliano Boffelli, the big boff who we know can kick him from everywhere. And he did 55 metre penalty to cap off his 17 point haul. But it was the forgotten man of this Puma side, it was Nico Sanchez, who's been shafted in favour of Santi Carreras for the past couple of seasons now, and he had 12 minutes of almost flawless footy from Nico Sanchez, got his help from an intercept try, kicked well and closed out the game for the Pumas. So it was an amazing turnaround from what was an undefeated Welsh side, looking pretty comfortable heading into halftime.
1: Mitch, Argentina racking up 29 points overall. They, in some ways, have snuck under the radar so far this Rugby World Cup. We've had other major teams that we've been focusing on and their pool with England perhaps wasn't as headline grabbing as some of the other ones within the competition. Do you think they um, realistically have a chance coming up against New Zealand? What did you see from them within this game that you think gives them hope moving forward?
2: Yeah, look, that's a that's a pretty loaded question there. I don't think anyone, uh, and we'll get to the New Zealand game in a moment, but the way New Zealand play in this game, all the doubters have been proven wrong. The way they held off Ireland at the end went as deep as they did into overtime and still didn't let Ireland score any points uh new zealand played an incredible game um this this semi-final argentina also played an incredible game in their semi-final i don't know if you go back to the last time argentina played new zealand and um it wasn't a great outcome for argentina you go back to that game in Christchurch, i believe was that that was last year where they beat them for the first time and so they have beaten new zealand in recent memory and you would imagine that they'll be uh, hanging on to that pretty tightly and, and thinking of ways that they can win this game. One thing, just focusing back on this game, uh, that I kind of found by watching it was Wales didn't do themselves any favours, particularly that incident right before halftime where I believe it was George North took off, took um, knocked over one of the Argentinian players and they turned into this big scuffle. There was a penalty given afterwards, whether it was a yellow card or not. Is a discussion for another day, but Argentina got really fired up from that point, and from that point on, they unleashed the mongrel. And we've known that Argentina are a team that thrive on passion. And Wales, up until that point in the game, were pretty dominant, were uh, leading most of the statistics, and were dominating that game by getting Argentina angry. They awoken the beast, and they, um yeah, they ended up rolling on it and getting the victory at the end there,
1: mate. That is a brilliant segue into the Island New Zealand game because you mentioned a beast and there is nobody else that we can speak about other than Artie Savea. He was deservedly the man of the match, but he was absolutely brutal in almost everything that he did. His involvements at the big moments of the game were so incredibly important and we saw what... At the time of me watching it, I declared personally as the best game of rugby I've ever watched in terms of the quality. So Ireland went down 24 to 28 against New Zealand in an absolutely breathtaking encounter. Um, Ireland were pretty far behind on the scoreboard early into the first half but called their way back in. And New Zealand were able to just keep their noses out in front and then hold off against 39 phases of defense. 39 phases. They were able to keep the Irish out and not give away a penalty. What an amazing, amazing moment. Um Lockie, I'll come back to you for this one. How did you catch your breath after this game? What were your immediate feelings with this epic encounter finishing up the way it did?
0: It was awe. It was awe for me. Or at both sides. I thought it was just a cracking contest in every sense of the word. The the brutality of it was something I haven't seen yeah. in a really long time in a test match. I think you'd have to go as far back as, oh, maybe some of those 2007, eight, nine battles between the All Blacks and the Springboks, when there was that peak sort of Bok period after the I-7 World Cup win, as yeah. far as physicality is concerned. But it was, they were immense. And you, you put credit to Artie and rightly so, but I have eyes only for Captain Kane. He was yep. terrific in every sense of that word 22 tackles a couple of turnovers he was still among their top ball carriers as well before he went off i mean this guy's a machine and he gets lambasted all the time in new zealand media and world media about not even being the best seven or in a match day squad in new zealand yet every time that he's had to he steps up and he shows you why he was the heir to richie McCaw, not don papali not Artie Savea. It's Kane seven jersey, and that's a huge rap and a huge honour. So power to him; he deserves every accolade after that one.
1: Mitch, there were some pl- incredible players that stood out across both teams. Uh, we've already mentioned Sarveya. We've had Sam Kane pinged as well uh, across, obviously, both Ireland and New Zealand. Who who would you be suggesting a players of note that we should be speaking to within this match?
2: Yeah, I think we've got it. We can't go any further without mentioning Johnny Sexton. Uh, his final game for Ireland, everything that he's done up until this point in the game and, you know, the disrepute that he put himself in earlier in this year with the uh, salty kind of way that he got that ban and and potentially missed it and missed a few games of the World Cup and could have potentially missed the whole thing. Uh, the fact that he's finishing his international career with this game, it would have been a fantastic uh, fairy tale finish for him had they been able to score a try or score some points at the end of the game and um, beat New Zealand and send them packing and to make it into the... Uh, the the first ever semi-final that Ireland have ever played in they probably did deserve that as much as you say New Zealand deserved to win this game Ireland probably deserved to win this game based on the last 4 years they've had this the World Cup cycle unfortunate to um to see them not be able to get it done at the end there and to sitting on watching this as a neutral um I I was backing Ireland I wanted to see Ireland win but I had tipped New Zealand and Gosh, it was so exciting. I didn't have a horse in the race, realistically, but just watching that the final, probably 10, 15 minutes of this game, not sure which way it was going to go. It was just like fr- hard uh, in mouth stuff the whole time. I can't imagine how heartbreaking it would have been to be an Irish fan to lose in, in the, the state that they did. Mate, I
1: um, found myself in final moments of the game by
2: properly cheering on for New Zealand
1: because, I don't don't know, as an Australian rugby fan, I don't have the hatred or the antipathy towards New Zealand that so many other uh, Aussie rugby fans do. I, I just don't. And so I was proper cheering them on, partly partly because of the Southern versus Northern hemisphere bias and wanting a Southern hemisphere team to win partly because I actually, because of fantasy rugby, like, like a lot of the New Zealand players. Um, so I've I an attachment. I particularly love Artie Sevilla. He's one of my favorite rugby players going around, even with his kind of like throat slitting gesture in the year that <laughs> kind of just endeared him to me even more. Um, but the, biggest, biggest joy within this entire result is that Ireland yet again have been kicked out of the Rugby World Cup in the quarterfinals. And it's just, at this point, it's just ridiculous because they're such a good team. And the fact that England, the fact that England are currently through to the semi-finals, and Ireland and France, obviously we'll get to that in a moment, but Ireland and France are both, going home and out of the competition is just an absolute joke um so much has already been said about the pool uh format and the way in which it's all been chosen but i mean come on the number one team in the world getting kicked out in the quarters in england going through into the semis like what a joke (laughs) um let's jump into a couple of the big moments from this game because there were so many we had the opening try to um Lesser Anuku. and do you just want to talk us through that and what that showed about New Zealand and their um, kind of their approach to the game, Lockie? Oh goodness, you have put me on the spot
0: there. I, I have, think mate. I have to
1: handle. That. Um, but honestly, the try that stood out, and I can't
0: comment on the Anuku because I didn't break it down enough. But what stood out to me from all that game was the support lines that yeah, uh, New Zealand yeah. back three are able to inject. in. And I know this was something similar, but. What springs to mind is the will jordan try and the lines that they are consistently able to back up through that inside channel it's almost like your wingers and fullback are intuitive they're running that nine line that traditional support on the inside and i think that's been a hallmark of new zealand's success all through this tournament mitch have you got a better read on flying in try
2: oh i've i only watched bits and pieces of this game so i'll go i don't have <laughs> too much to I'll, unpack, I'll, unpack that one and i'll jump into boy, it mate. then i'll jump into it so like
1: the reason why I pinned this one out, or pick this one out is because it's the one where Bodie Barrett does a chip over the top, collects the ball right as James O is about to hit him, gets absolutely smashed within the tackle. It's able to then <clears throat> pass it off and uh Nuku goes through then for the try. and it just showed the capacity of Bowden Barrett to inject himself into matches and he's he's had a bit of a quiet international season earlier within a year he probably hasn't reached the heights I saw him kind of world player of the year contention a few years back um and I think that he and Richie Mwanga have still been working out that kind of 10-15 axis axis and where they're going to be injecting themselves but man it worked today and Richie Mwanga's break within the second half where he just cut through the Irish defensive line in between I think it was there Hooker and one of the loose forwards, I think, defending at the back of the line out. And he just cuts through with Will Jordan on the inside, the pace at which the two of them hit the line, those poor forwards deciding who it was that they were meant to be tackling in that moment. And you just saw one of the best tries scored against Ireland, which they made it look easy. And yet, this is a New Zealand team which has underperformed. So I've uh, previously within a year. So I found it really, really odd to see how effective they were and how fired up they were for this game. Why don't we go through a couple of other moments, um, Mitch? Anything you wanted to speak to about this game, Lockheed, Then back to you, and then we might continue on with England Fiji. So, Mitch.
2: Yeah, I think one of the players from an Australian perspective that's been fantastic to see for Ireland is Mac Hansen. Um, in this past mm. few years, and there was a bit of a turning point, I think, in the game when he went off what 55th minute or so um, with that calf injury, and the his replacement was good, but I don't think he he had, definitely doesn't have the time in the saddle and the experience on a big stage that Mac has, and you could tell that every he made a few good runs. The first time that he got the ball, he had an insight to insight an exciting break, I'll say, um, but Mac Hansen just. He looked every time he touched the ball like he was. He would beat a, a defender or two. Uh, and he was just a highlight reel up until that point. He wasn't 100% fit in this game, and you could tell that. Uh, if he was 100% fit and he didn't have the niggly, niggly injury leading into this, uh, I think he would have been a determining factor in getting the win for Ireland. Unfortunately, he did only get to play 55 minutes, but they didn't look as cohesive a unit when he wasn't out there on the wing. Yep. lucky. No,
0: you've absolutely nailed that one. And again, the fact that we'll see him in a Lions jersey in Australia in two years just shits me. Like, he's such an asset that we've lost, and it's such a shame.
2: But he'll the beat the Brumbies. Moment- he, he will score the def- def- the try that beats <laughs> the Brumbies in Canberra. And, and this is the Brumbies are
0: the only team that's winning against the Lions. <laughs> we'll have. Um, I just uh, the the standout from all this, even though you went through, yeah, eighty six was it eighty six minutes in the end that was defended, it was an incredible amount of time after extra time, is seeing the man over the ball in the dying seconds yep. is against Sam Whitelock. Is, is there a better big game player in the world? You can throw out an Artie Sevilla, maybe a, a Andre Pollard for his clutch kicking, but in the modern era, Sam Whitelock, he's, got, he's won over 120 tests. Don't worry about played. Mm. He's won 124 tests and countless titles with Canterbury and the Crusaders you cannot beat this experience and when you look at that and you look at the the prowess that they've got and the runs on the board that new zealand squad has of course they were going to do well and the flip side of that what about our squad where was our experience Mm.
2: yep how uh i i I was wondering if it was ever if the referee was going to ever blow a penalty in new zealand's favor there were so many attempts in that last 36 phases i think arty surveyor maybe four five six phases before Got a pretty good yep. steal on the ball as well and um, got cleaned out. And you could just see him lay on the ground screaming at the touchy. But I was just wondering, if Ireland wins this, I think New Zealand would rightly be aggrieved because there was two phases at least, or two stances in that phase count where they would legitimately over the ball, had won the contest and Ireland weren't releasing. But Wayne Barnes just kept saying, no, nope, hands off, let it play, let it play. Let's just keep playing it and play it out.
0: And that's the difference between a four-point margin and a three in the referee's mind. That's a three-point margin. Those are getting blown more, but it's just those tiny little things that change the dynamics of the game. And a four-point margin was the defining factor. Otherwise, you're probably looking at a penalty being called in Ireland's favour earlier to go with the ebb and flow of the game and maybe there's extra time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and look, there's so much to go in there because... I thought Wayne Barnes was absolutely brilliant. And I love the way that he honestly just let the boys play enough. those final moments where he, there were a couple of points where you're like, yeah, you can, another ref might have actually called that up. Like if it was Matthew Ray now, he would have given everybody kind of Christmas cards with a photo of him on the front of it with a whistle. We play. Saying, yeah, we <laughs> play. Um, but I just I just loved it. And so two quick things before we finish. Just jumping onto that Mac Hansen comment it was really interesting when you look at the stats after the game to look at this was the first time that Ireland have really tried to play with width within this whole competition. So they'd they'd averaged just eight percent playing. 30 metres or more wide from the previous ruck. So only 8% of the time they have the ball, they're moving it 30 metres wider. This game, 17. So more than double, they are trying to stretch the All Blacks defensive line. And yet you have one of the best players in injecting himself into the line and providing those overlapping runs, Mack Hansen, who was under a bit of an injury cloud and then had to go off relatively early within the game um so there's maybe something to be said for that and whether or not the uh width should have been adjusted to the injury status of Mack Hansen, maybe, just a thought. And then the other point that I wanted to quickly bring up, we've spoken a lot about the New Zealand players, maybe because we're more familiar with them, having played in the rugby championship and the like, but I do just need to call out Bundiaki. He was incredible. 20 carries, the most on the pitch, 68 metres, and had the most post-contact metres of anybody on the pitch. Seven defenders beaten, a line break and a turnover. He was incredible. Incredible. We talk about Artie Sevilla being immense for the All Blacks. Bundiaki was immense for uh Ireland. So um
2: Mitch, one last comment, then we move on. Just on the Bundiaki one, I thought it was it was perfect timing. My wife walked in the room and was watching the game over my shoulder as it was on. And I just said to her, Oh, check out uh, number twelve Ireland. He's one of the best players in the world at the moment. And seconds later he makes that break and scores the try. And I was like, and that's exactly why. So that was just perfect timing for him just showing off against New Zealand. Uh, But my final point was just around the Haka. How cool was it in this game to see New Zealand doing the Haka, like a really intense all out Haka and you couldn't hear a word of it. They were even mic'd up on the coverage and all you could hear was the Irish fans around the stadium singing. I thought it was awesome. Uh, There was another, it it happened similarly in the next game as well in the um, England, England Fiji game. I don't think that one had quite the same effect. But I really like seeing the island where um, the, all the fans themselves were actually drowning out the hucker and gave me goosebumps watching it. That's what we love rugby. We definitely
1: do love that fan participation in a way in which different crowds in different countries choose to respond and welcome or put pressure upon the traveling team. So that's awesome. Now, moving into the third quarterfinal, England 30, Fiji 24. This was a game that ended with a little bit of controversy. Um, You had some pretty uh, spicy comments being made by the Fijian captain in a post-match press conference, Simon Raului, the head coach, perhaps being a little bit more gracious or being a bit more measured, I should say measured is a better word for it, um, in, in defeat. But, Lockie, your beloved Fijians not being able to get the job done.
0: I know. I feel like I put the mockers on them because I tipped against them too. I just thought it's a bridge too far after the Portugal game and the Georgia game. They didn't have those heights of the early um Wales and Australia performances. So I never really thought Fiji had a chance in this one, but they proved me wrong for the vast majority. Well, no, that's a lie. They proved me right up until about the last twelve minutes scoring those two tries and all of a sudden I thought I was looking foolish again. But England, they continue to plug their way in a very stodgy manner across to another semi-final, and I, I hate the thought of England playing a final. But it really could it. happen at this point. They're playing the kind of turgid rugby. Um, Farrell getting back in the field, popping drop goals. It won't happen. Uh, and the emergence, the emergence of what I've decided is a world class back rower from England, which is the first we've seen in a long time. But Ben Earl is yep. starting to make serious waves. Yes. He had 13 carries, 7 tackle busts, 2 line breaks, 16 tackles. The man's a monster both sides of the ball, and he was the one who upped that physicality and started taking it to the likes of the bottiers and the the Tuasovers of the world. I mean, few people want to run in front of those blokes, and Ben Earl was there every time laying on the hits. So they have found a good one in him, but... Maybe it's my tip or maybe it's the fact that those hot pink shorts just didn't do it for me.
2: <laughs> nah, and didn't no. And for do those who missed Mitch. the comments made in the in the press conference, why don't you just enlighten us to what was said?
1: Oh, I don't have them up in front of me, mate. But um, there were some just because I, I haven't seen this story or heard anything on yeah it. yeah look um, I'm gonna su- paraphrase it okay so it's not a direct quote it's a paraphrase yeah. um but essentially there was uh, some criticism towards the referee by the Fijian captain um regarding the officiating at the tail end of the game and the lack of penalties being called for the Fijians um against against England and so, uh, yeah, they're, they're, it was a pretty direct comment. I'll see if I can get it up whilst we're talking about some other uh, moments within I've, the
0: game. I've got it up now if you want me to read it now.
1: Go please. for
2: it, Lucky.
0: Easy. Um, we had, so this is Waisai Anaselavu. He said, I'm very emotional at the moment. A lot has been happening uh, in this week, and I'm just proud of the boys. A few calls didn't go our way. We're just fighting, and I just ask that the ad stop popping up on this website. No, I just ask that we can make a fair decision when our team plays. Uh, Naya Salevu was then asked directly if he believed Fiji were victims of unconscious bias, and he answered, absolutely. You guys watch the game. You guys can answer that.
2: Yep. Yeah. No, those are strong words, right? And here yeah, you go. Yeah, next? for
1: me, my perspective, I think that there is an unconscious bias against it's like m- Much like um, there's a particular way that we believe South Africa will play or England will play or so on and so forth, that there's an unconscious success bias towards New Zealand, that they're not going to be making mistakes when playing Australia because they've got the wood over us. Unconscious bias filters into every element of life. And I personally think that there has been unconscious bias against say Moana Pacifica and the Fijian and Drua within Super Rugby Pacific in the officiating uh, that's been there and so in my mind it seems perfectly reasonable to hold that opinion based upon your lived experience and so if he feels that at the end of this incredibly tense game that calls haven't gone his way no wonder he's bringing it up in this moment um I I can really understand that um may not be true may not be right but I can understand why he's putting that forward
2: and it is something that it's a narrative, unfortunately, that has formed through this World Cup that some of the Pacific Island nations, particularly Tonga, Samoa, Fiji, have felt at times like they weren't getting the rub of the green or the fair um, share of the calls, particularly in the 50 50 ones. I, I wouldn't go as far to say that Fiji lost this game purely based on some of those decisions, but yeah. there were incidents in this game that had they been, had they occurred to, uh, uh, I mean, first two first world nations were probably looking at a little bit more intently um sam curry a number of times was making leg diving tackles no arms wrapped he got pinged for it once but he did it a number of times uh like those sort of things are really dangerous and where it, it almost felt at times like they were waiting for not that they were but it felt like they were waiting for a serious injury or an outcome to come out of a tackle like that to have to look at it that we need clear and obvious head contact or clear and obvious dangerous contact for it to happen when in reality they probably should have been pulling it up earlier and getting on top of that early in the game in the first few minutes and just saying, Sam, uh, Tom, sorry, um, pull pull it in. You've done a few of these now but he allowed to flow into the game.
1: Yeah, look, there are a few moments within the game that could be seen, maybe not controversial, but at least raising some eyebrows here and there. But in the end, yet again, I mean, you've got to love to hate this guy, Owen Farrell, the highest ever point scorer within English rugby, kicking drop goals, slotting a late penalty to secure victory for England. I mean, the guy's damn good. And it's really, really hard to accept that. Um, it was interesting to see um, Marcus Smith come on at, well, be on at 15 to partner Owen Farrell in at 10. I did find it interesting that Vinaya Hambosi continued his people beating ways and got yellow carded for a head high tackle on um, Marcus Smith. He came off pretty bloodied and bruised after that. Um, but yeah, look, the, I don't really have anything more to say about this game because I kind of just want to get into the France South Africa. Any other comments on this match before we move on?
2: I think the final thing to say is um, Fiji has had a really a fantastic World Cup and they, they're they going to be upset that they didn't make it any further and it would have been awesome to see them make it through to the semifinals. But realistically, they took a long time to get into this game and to really find their rhythm. And as Lockie sort of alluded to before, the two late tries in the, in the dying minutes of the game made the scoreline look a lot better. But for the majority of this game, England were on top and it was only for... That try that really sparked them in sort of the 65th minute that sort of started to give the Fijians hope that they, they were potentially going to get an upset. But up until that point, they didn't look like they were really bothering England. And so I think the result is um, probably a true reflection of the game as much as it is unfortunate to see that um, a, a southern we didn't get a, a full Southern Hemisphere sweep um across the quarterfinals this week
1: (laughs) how good would that have been but unfortunately we did not receive that so let's move now into the next match the final quarterfinal which was France versus South Africa and look there's a part of me that is incredibly disappointed that France has been knocked out they have put on a wonderful tournament from all accounts it's been awesome being at the stadiums and the opportunity to go out into the french countryside and partake of the local cuisine and grapes has been next level but they came up against a south african team who were brutal you spoke about Lockie, the physicality within the island south uh, new zealand game this match from the outset was almost violent it was on that level just down where it's like willful damage being caused against other human beings for enjoyment's sake but instead it was just channeled into and in between the laws of rugby to make it okay um how did you feel with the opening moments lucky as this game started to unfold so
0: really so yeah. uh just the the sight of everyone pulling themselves off the field, almost dragging themselves off after 80 minutes, you know, no one, no one wanted to leave and no one could leave. You know, everyone was completely mashed to a pulp. And I mean, seeing, seeing Quagga Smith's nose get wider and flatter and wider and flatter every single game is a, is a thing of beauty. It almost looks like a Picasso at this point. Um, but yeah, it was, it was war, wasn't it? You know, willful damage be damned. That was, that was proper war and you could see that especially um, when Khaleesi ended up you know, being subbed off. For those last few minutes, he's still standing there on the edge of the reserves box, screaming and giving everything to his players. Yeah. He's still bleeding from an ear. And it's just, I don't know, everything about that man inspires me, to be honest. See, Khaleesi just remains such an amazing figurehead from South African rugby. But the, uh, the downside of all this, um, and I got away from it there, but the downside of this is... Um, France would be really, really buggered off with the ticket sales now, mm-hmm. missing out on a bronze final or a semi final or a grand final with the French in it, that'll tank them a little bit.
1: Mm. A little bit. You just hope there's enough expats and rugby lovers and it's close enough to Europe that at the very least that they've got English fans that can come across, although you don't really want them in the stadium. But yeah. one thing no, I will I imagine just those tickets quickly... are already sold. Yeah, that's a good point. The French already have those, those tickets they show up. They have. Um, Cyril by opened a scoring within the opening moments of the game, but it came after two really, really well done kicks in behind where the French were obviously trying to turn the South African rush defense to try and sit their defenders down. They then get the line out. And the line out drive that they did in the lead up to Cyril by's try splintered the South African mall defense, which is something you just do not see. And it was in that moment I just thought this is going to be one of the most bruising games, like you mentioned, Lockie, that we were going to see. Um, Mitch, any moments that jumped out from you within this game that you want to highlight and speak to?
2: Oh, I mean, the first one that jumps to mind is the the thought at the very end of the game when I was watching this, that there's, I think, 90 seconds left on the clock. You're up by a point and Faf clerk kicks the ball away. And I thought, what what are you doing? Like I know you're in sort of the 50 meter point at that in that area of the field, but you've just given France a sniff here. Hold the ball with 90 seconds, and you're through to a semifinal. And France went. What, what was the final minute? Like they went four or five minutes into and overtime as well in this game, trying to to get the um to get the final points, but ended up coughing it up, and South Africa kicked it out to win the game. But geez, uh, my heart was in my my throat at that point as well, just thinking that. That's something the Wallabies would do, kicking the ball away unnecessarily with the game on the line. Yeah,
1: but it's something, it's following their game plan of not playing the ball, playing with the ball in their own half. And if you think about it conversely, like I I get where you're coming from with that. You can think about it conversely and go, well, we don't want to try and just soak up the clock and do passive runs for the next minute and a half and then risk giving away a penalty when they've got an incredible kicker, um, Ramos. And they're only one point behind. So I can see the logic of just trying to boot the leather out of it and keep it up that end of the field. Um, and they did have some luck earlier within the match, actually a lot of luck earlier than the match with their up and unders. It's actually how the second try of the game, Kurt Lee Arenza's try, came to be. Um, where Marnie Wibock just bombs it up and France, I think it was I wonder if this one was Cameron Wilkie who missed it. I can't remember if it was this one. But went up for it and it just burst free. Multiple times the up and unders were able to cause massive questions within the French defence that they weren't able to handle. So you got got um, you've got Arenze and D'Alende who were able to capitalise on those points. Wolke, what do you think it was that enabled South Africa to get south africa to get ahead within this match or oh, um what tactical approach do you think they brought that yeah won it for them
0: well it was the aerial route right we saw yeah. that time and time again it's just the french kryptonite i mean pano is quite strong in the air but it looks like they really exposed ramos and I have to admit, i've forgotten um who was sitting on the left wing it wasn't gabin villier but he wears the same headgear uh, so it always confuses mm. me a bit um who plays blind side wing without villier around but i think they got did they get they did get exposed there and um dante still didn't quite look at full fitness as no. well i'm not sure if that was touched on was quickly turning over the potatoes but uh it was just a case of a little bit of disjointment in that defensive line and how you approach your kick receipt that yep. really exposed them and the box they'll they'll keep kicking it they kick the life out of it anyway and if they sniff a bit of weakness like they did it just became their kryptonite at the end of the day so you know, credit to the box but also that comes down to experience right this is a south african team that regularly plays whether it's through the URC or whether it's through now champions cup or the many members of their world cup winning squad in 2019 they understand knockout footy and the pressures of it and regardless of the hype around you know this french side and you know going to be world number 1 they were 2022 grand slam champions and almost did it again this time around they've only been to a quarter final They've been to a quarterfinal in 2015 and 2019. They haven't had a great run at these tournaments, and mm-hmm. the box just have that experience in the edge.
1: Yep, yep. There's so much to be said for that, which again takes us back to why Eddie Jones cut all the experience from our team for this World Cup. Um, <laughs> but uh, interesting question, Mitch. Did you see that Eben Etzebeth attempted intercept? Lockie,
2: I'll jump in. I'm not sure, Mitch. No, is that's a drink yeah. Of water. I did see it. I I took a, a sip of water <laughs> as you asked me the question. Yeah, I um. Yeah, I was was pretty surprised that that wasn't looked at more intently. Um, that like there was a, a line break opportunity there, and it was no realistic opportunity to regather. Whether the ball went forward or not, uh, I don't know. But the referee on the field said it went backwards, so play on. Uh, yeah, it's it's one of those grey areas, I guess. For mine, if you're a South African fan, you're like you're sitting here going, "Of course, it went backwards. It's, we're not even considering this." Uh, but as a neutral, it probably deserved a little bit more.
0: Absolutely, know. it deserved more. The ruling is not an intentional knock-on, it's an intentional knock-down in a scoring opportunity, and that was the knock-down. I mean, he's bloody lucky.
1: He's yep. bloody lucky. If that was, yeah, the, the thing that is maybe a precedent that saves Ben O'Keefe is, you know that Nick Tompkins knockdown down for Wales against Australia like two years ago, um, yep. where he's gone for an intercept,
2: yeah, and that's what jumped to, to mind for in me front of as in. well. Yeah,
1: dropped it. Yeah, it's exactly the same. Um, well, sorry, the concept is exactly the same, even if the exact working out wasn't exactly the same. Um, anyway, anyway, even Epzebeth, I outside of that, was then absolutely a monster throughout this game. One of those players like you was mentioning with Sam Whitlock that just brings experience onto the pitch and just knows what to do. Uh one of the things I loved was right at the start of the second half um it's 22-19 coming out of the break and the box get a penalty oh, and they're doing a tap from about the 5-meter line and you've got a forward pod of the front row And then right as they're about the tip, they uh, tap the ball, they fake it and move to the left. And then um, Snyman comes up and takes it with it. supporting him. And then they recycle immediately to that forward pod, which is ready and waiting over to the left. And then they recycle it twice to the right. And it's goes through for the try. And I just loved that little bit of planning around those quick taps and a way in which the South Africans are obviously thinking. Okay, well, if we're in this circumstance, let's make sure that we're not going to turn the ball over straight away, but actually we're setting it up in such a way that the defensive line won't have time to react to our quick movement. And so hopefully we're going to get over. And it was really, really well done. Um one final thing. Chosen Colby and Kurtley Arenze are small, small human beings. They are small and fast. Mitch, how good is it? to still have a place for small people on the international rugby field in this day and age.
2: I think that's one of the the benefits of our game when you compare it to the likes of AFL or NRL or soccer, cricket to a degree, I guess, that in those games, everyone looks pretty similar. You don't have the small fast guys, really. Everyone's becoming big and tall and and meaty and hunky. But we, we have a place for the little guy. We have a place. We have the wing, we have the fullback who is that versatile, that that slippery guy who's able to, to um, make tackle busts or to sidestep around defenders and score tries and just do freakish things in the air. Ha- South Africa, having both of those guys on the wings, they're such a deadly option. And I think every other nation in the world would be envious of the talent that both of those guys bring and just how good they are with ball in hand, but also how good they are Without ball in hand defensively, um, they're known for their ability. Even though they are, as we said, small guys, they put in some monster hits in this game. Yep. I One of the. Agree.
0: And if I can quickly. <clears throat> Benando, sorry. They no. just speak to the testament of investing in your sevens program. Like Colby, Orenza, Quagga Smith, they're all products of a really successful blitzbox side from about the sort of that 2015 period onwards um, when they were really successful, like constantly beating Fiji and England and, excuse me, and New Zealand at the top of the World Series rankings, it improves your one-on-one D, you cover space laterally like no one's business, and you can finish well because you have to. So investment in that sevens program has produced multiple World Cup winners now for South Africa, right? It's done the same in New Zealand with Savia and Rico, Sonny Bill Williams, you know, there's heaps of examples we can look to. Let's do the same here. It works. Clearly, it works and builds these guys' skill sets. And then when you see them in open space, shut the gate.
2: Yeah. Yep. And, and one player from the seven series, one player that I, I've longed to see get a crack at 15s is Maurice Longbottom. Just the skill set that oh, he has over the ball awesome. out wide, put him in space and he just burns anyone on the field. He'd be fantastic winger. Um, he had a few seasons during covid in uh, the shoot shield for Ranwick, I believe. And at the time, they didn't really know where to play him. He didn't, he sort of fit between, played a bit of fullback, played a bit of wing, but they said he kind of didn't fit anywhere. Uh, uh, he's the type of player, he could be the next Cheslin Colby if we re- really invested him and gave him the time to really nail down 15 or 14. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to mention about Colby was that twenty fifth his
1: 25th minute try where there's been an, a turnover at the ruck. The South Africans have then recycled the ball really, really quickly coming down towards this kind of close or near, near side of the field. Jesse Creel's got the ball running at an angle, puts a perfectly weighted kick through and it just pops up into his chest asking for a hug and a cuddle and Colby goes through and it was just it was perfect counter-attack rugby there is no other way it can be described every single player did every single thing executing their skills exactly as they should and don't tell me this South African team is boring and just kicks they're creating pressure and when they get the turnover they execute incredibly well and so it was Yeah, that was just a delight of a try to watch.
2: So, so much good. And before we move off Um, and Colby, how good was it to see that charge down and how important did that end up being for the outcome of the game? If they kicked that? They probably win this game. So, I can't remember the last time I saw a ball actually charge down, like contact made at a charge down. I've seen players get close, put the kicker off, but the last time I actually saw a player able to touch the ball and charge down, particularly out wide like that, incredible. I'd have to dig
0: deep into the URC archive. I think Grant Williams pulled one out uh, last season for the Sharks. But aside from seeing it in a World Cup game, has there ever been one in a World Cup game? No less a decider. um, Definitely not a knockout. That's definitely
2: not a knockout. That
1: is clutch. Mm. Mm. I mean, obviously, the margins one point at the end of the match. Oh, that is just so huge. Um, we might move on now because we were wanting to keep this one just a little bit short, knowing how much we're going to be talking tomorrow night about the state of play in Australian rugby. Um, we have two matches coming up. They are on Saturday at 6 a.m. and Sunday at 6 a.m. Uh, obviously, Sydney time because that's where everybody should be referencing uh, where, where, where they are within the world. Um, but the it'll be Argentina world, versus yeah. New Zealand, then England versus South Africa. And look, Look, I can see a world in where New Zealand in particular have kind of um, done their run already and maybe struggled to back up against this immense uh, from this immense game. and Argentina have shown that they can beat New Zealand at least once in the last few years. Um, so it could happen, but surely the safe money is on a New Zealand South Africa final Mitch.
2: Yeah, I think the only saving grace for Argentina and England is that you look at the two semifinals, that's quarterfinals that both New Zealand and South Africa played, and they were tight, they were intense, they were physical, they were really strong games. Now, England got a bit battered around by Fiji, but Argentina came through that game against Wales pretty well intact. So the only thing you would say in their favour is that maybe New Zealand and South Africa are going to be sore and tired and the seven-day bounce back is going to be a little bit hard for them. But realistically, if there's two teams in world rugby that you don't want to go up against in its in a seven-day turnaround, it's New Zealand and South Africa. Purely because they've done this so many times, they know what it takes to win big games in big tournaments. And so maybe if it was France, maybe if it was uh, um, Ireland, maybe that factor does imbe- embed into the performance, but... South Africa and New Zealand know what they need to do to win these games. And I I don't want to say that it's going to be a big score against both teams, but I would be very surprised if it's less than 10 point win for both South Africa and Ireland uh, New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting thoughts there. Lockie, I mean, what is the,
1: is there a world in which Argentina win this match? Yeah, there's a world. There's
0: just not many of them um, in this case. I feel as though it's Argentina. The the, no, not the multiverse, sadly, but Look, Argentina have beaten them multiple occasions in the past few years. They had that cracking win in Sydney. Um, They obviously got the Chockeys last year. Yeah, yeah, and they got the Chockeys last year in uh, Christchurch. So they've got a fantastic record, really. I I don't know how many countries can say that they've banked two wins over New Zealand in the past um, couple of years. I don't know if even we can. Um, So it's a pretty good time if you're an Argentinian. You'd almost rather come up against New Zealand um, than a Springbok side who hasn't been beaten by the Argies. I'm not sure ever in TRC history. Maybe they've got one or two. Well, they came but close this happening. year, though.
2: They came very close.
0: They did They did, they did come close. But look at, look at the belief in this Argentinian side now. They had a stinker against England first up. And since then, they've done enough and they've shown that they've got probably the outside backs to really challenge New Zealand. That's where so much of that talent is from New Zealand, you know, the Will Jordans, the Bowden Barrett, the the dearth of options at left winger um, and behind Fineganuku. Um, You still got Mark Talia, you know, who was obviously missed out for disciplinary reasons, but that's still one of the four wingers in the world that you can pull out if you need him. So great coverage. And the Kiwis didn't even use McKenzie. So there's just stacks of talent that they can pull out against the Argers. But people like um, Mateo Carrera, Santi Chocabares has been incredible as well at 12. This is an Argentinian team that could really challenge New Zealand early. And if they can start digging into some of those semifinal scars, because we've got to remember, there's not a stack of players from that 2015 team. There's a couple. There's your Aaron Smiths, your Bodys, your Whitelocks. Kane came off the bench, I think. But by and large, this is a team that hasn't been proven at a semi-final level argentina they've got nothing to lose and it's the same boat for england no one even thought they'd get out of the pool i didn't i thought they were going to be pants but here they are playing their crappy style of rugby and they'll get into an arm wrestle if they can with the box to try and make it one of those 15 12 you know nine six games and they might even find their way into a final i mean truly i wouldn't be surprised if there's an upset in here
2: They'd have to have a really, like, they'd have to increase the tempo, increase the physicality element. I just, I think South Africa will just push them off everything. Just the set piece, the dominance in that way. Uh, England might be able to match them in, in kicking points off the tee, and that's probably the only area I could really see that South Africa might allow England into the game. But outside, the backs, the South African backs for mine, are just so deadly with ball in hand that, the, the like-for-like comparison up against England is a little bit meh. Yep.
0: Yeah, no one's denying that the Kiwis and the Safis are hot favourites.
1: Yep. Yeah, I think um, when you look at the fact that New Zealand have had a perfect set-piece record for the last three games, it indicates the tasks that Argentina have in front of them because if they're not disrupting ball at set-piece, then how are they going to be stopping the New Zealand attack effectively throughout the throughout the um, matches? But that being said, Saturday morning, Sunday morning, 6 a.m. Sydney time, get into these matches. Um, We basically, I think, are finished with our reviews and we might take a quick break before we then jump into the Wallaroos. So let's do that now. Let's go. And it is incredibly exciting to be able to talk about the first round of matches within a new World 15 competition within women's rugby. So this is a new initiative that has been uh, driven by World Rugby. There's three tiers of competitions and Australia and the Wallaroos are in the top tier we are playing some of the best well we are playing actually the best teams in women's rugby and we're going to be doing it in New Zealand starting this weekend Australia is going up against England the Red Roses basically the best team in women's rugby and current, um, world, champions. It's, it's current world champions it's going to be a match It's going to be a match, and it's going to
2: be a challenge. Oh, wait, no, they're not, are they? No, they lost the final. Of course not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He's broke so many
1: English hearts. Oh, good. Well, as usual, anyone but England, am I right? Um, Yeah. But the World 15 competition starts this Friday night at 7pm local time, 5pm Aussie time. Um, It's going to be a big match. Lockie, thoughts on how this game is going to unfold? Wow,
0: hopefully better than the quarterfinal from uh, the World Cup. That was 41 points to five in the driving rain. Uh, friend of the Pot m chance, obviously getting a cracking try with a nice big swanny, but that was pretty <laughs> much the only highlight from that game. It was pretty one-way traffic. Uh, and England and France, I mean, they're both really tough games um, for our Wallaroos. Obviously, England, um, you know, number one ranked in the world, um, obviously coming off their Six Nations Championship as well. But just to give a perspective of how far ahead they are rankings-wise ahead of Australia, they're they're 15 whole rankings points, not places, rankings points. They're up there in the 90s and we're down around the 70s. Mm-hmm. So it's a huge hurdle for us to overcome. We've you know, talked ad nauseum about the, the quality of care and programs that are in place between some of these fully funded teams and our Wallaroos currently. So it's a huge challenge um, for our girls. And what I really want to see is see them compete physically. Mm. I think that's where we've been exposed more recently against Black Ferns um, and, to a lesser extent, Canada. But that's what I'm chasing from the girls, a really physical performance and plenty of shoulders in the gut.
2: <laughs> Mitch, what are you expecting or hoping to see from the Wallaroos? I think the saving saving grace for the Wallaroos in this game and the slight edge that they might have coming into this is that they're we're, we're mid-season or we're towards the end of our season. Uh, We've only got this and then two other games and and then the Wallaroos are done for 2023. Whereas England is kicking off. This is their first game. They've been in preseason in the lead up to this. So this is their first game in their season and they'll they'll roll into the Six Nations and um, their women's uh, premiership competition over there in England. So we've got a little bit more, I guess, cohesive element than this England team at the moment. But, you know... When we, we're going up against a, a completely professional outfit we're, we're still yeah. semi-professional part-time athletes that that skill set level is going to be difficult to overcome i think as loki said if we can be physical and we can match up in the in the set piece particularly i think we might be able to hang with them whether we're going to have enough firepower to actually beat them and get get over them and score enough tries i think that might be the the real tick up but nevertheless it's going to be fantastic to see the Wallaroos put in a, a huge performance against England. And if they can come closer than we did in that World Cup uh, quarterfinal, then we'll be doing quite well.
1: I, um, I have read two, th- this trilogy called The King Killer Chronicles, right? It's by an author called Patrick Rothfuss. And he he's written two of the trilogy, okay? He hasn't written a third one. And there's a Twitter account which is titled Has Doors of Stone Been Released Yet? which is the name of the third book. And it's been about ten years since the second one was written and the third one is waiting to come out. It's not coming. And every day and every day the 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 Twitter account posts no. Or posts not yet or it's still coming. Um, I feel that no. way about the Wallaroos and the commitment that Rugby Australia is making to having a roadmap or a pathway for the development of Australian rugby. We were promised this back in August or July, and it still has not arrived. And I just feel like everything is on a bloody back burner. And unfortunately, women's rugby is getting taken on that drive because you were mentioning, oh, yeah, maybe because the Red Roses are kind of at the start of their season. They've been doing preseason. Well, basically, our girls are at the start of their season as well because they haven't been training for very long. They've been back at work. Every game is (laughs) is preseason. They've been back at work. And so it's just so bloody hard when the playing fields aren't equal. But with that being said, there are a whole host of games up and if you want to know more about the world 15 competition go to rugby.com.au go to the wallaroo section and nathan williamson from um rugby.com has put up a really really good article there about what the competition competition is how it works Uh, basically we are going to be playing teams in the opposite side of the pool so we've got our first game this friday against england the next one is going to be um uh, saturday against france and then wales will be the third game on friday the third of november so very 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 excited for this match to unfold but we did just want to talk about mitch a quick change to friend of the pod m chances rugby career she was a bit coy when we last had her on and we
2: were asking about what i was next this close in her career. i was so close and... to getting that scoop it was coming yeah i could feel it coming Nice Alright, Panoram. <laughs> Panoram. No, 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 he's not the Only positivity. Yeah, only positivity. Yeah. He's
1: not That's the so. um what's 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 the word for those? Um he's not a carrion bird, one that just flies around and picks the corpses of <laughs> the anyway. Mitch, back to you.
2: Yeah, so Emily Chancellor, it was announced today, is going to Japan uh, to pay for the Pearls. I'm actually not sure. I don't have too much information about this team or even the competition but um fantastic to see that she has signed a contract we don't know too much more at this point around the the um specifics of this contract but we do wish her all the best as she does go over there and fly the Aussie flag in Japan whether we will whether that will sort of clash with um Wallaroos commitment next year I wouldn't think so so I would imagine that we can still see her uh in Wallaroos gold in 2024 as well they're in their sixth season together, and
1: they've got a really cool website with a great photo up the top of it. So I'm currently looking through it now. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that's that's as much as I can tell you. But either way, what it does show, and what I do love, is that Em is taking the opportunity to um, explore. And and to obviously head overseas like we saw previously, um, and this time she's going to Japan and being a trailblazer within Australian rugby because as far as I'm aware, no female rugby players have played in Japan. So she is breaking ground and creating history for our women. And how good is that? Yes, we have we had have. the
2: opposite. So we've had some Japanese girls play for, believe the Force, and maybe some for the Brums this year in Super W. But this will be the first time that we've. Had um, Wallaroo's girls going over and playing Japan, and and whether this is a, a new sort of pathway that's been developed with the agreement with Japan rugby, the the handshake or the um, what was it, memorandum of understanding that was uh, agreed on earlier in the year. I mean, if they want to take one of our Wallaroos, that's fine. If they want to take our coach, maybe not so good. But we'll um we'll get a bit more details on that tomorrow.
0: Very nice. Right. Very <laughs> nice.
2: I am
1: currently reading that Laurie Kramer might have played for them previously. This is fascinating. Okay, I'm going to look into that a little more. more. Um, anyway, team, it has been fun talking all things Aussie rugby and all things Rugby World Cup with you guys. So, best of luck to the Wallabies this weekend. Um, best and one of final, luck one final bit of news England. that was picked
2: up. One final bit of news that was picked up in the New Zealand Island game on Stan Sport. Stan did announce that they picked up the World Seven Series. Next year. So the yes. sevens will be on Stan sports. So officially we will be the one, well Stan, not, not we, not yet. Hopefully one day, yeah. maybe us. speaking us. Of, of one day, uh, they will be the one stop shop for all, all rugby. Um, the, the, just the amount of rugby that they have is just incredible. Uh, so fantastic that we don't, we'll we finally continue. officially get rid of our, KO subscriptions or our Fox sports, whatever you want to call it, uh, for just to have that just for the sevens and we can. Just have stand Sport and watch all of our Aussie rugby content in the one place.
1: I, for one, welcome our new rugby overlords. So, with that being said, team, thank you so much for being with us and I hope that you have a wonderful night. Keep an eye or an ear out for the pod that will be released in the, tomorrow whenever you're hearing this um, about the Eddie Jones or even out. Wallabies. Starter. Or even out. Or out. even out. So, yeah. have a wonderful time. We'll catch you later, team. All the best. Bye. Bye.